Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast was created for entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, digital marketing tips, personal development resources, and a nice dose of comic relief. Now for your host, Jason Wright. What's going on, everybody? Jason Wright here, recording this podcast, episode number 102, on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, whether I like it or not, tomorrow's a new year. To me, it's just Monday. But for many of you listening, it's the opportunity to wipe the slate clean and get started brand new. So you know what? We're going to go ahead and talk about it. Before I get uh, get in too deep, this episode is brought to you by my recently published book, The Backwards Route to Forward Progress. You guys can check that out at thebackwardsroutebook.com, and I think you'll be very pleased. All right, so I've got a great guest today. Uh, we will get with get to that here in a little bit. But before I jump into that, I want to talk about tomorrow. What does New Year's mean to many of you? To me, it's literally Monday. It's no different than the other Monday, but for many people, like I said, it's that opportunity, that perception to wipe the slate clean, do something better or different than you did last year. And I guess the idea of it makes makes things exciting for a lot of people. Many of you listening will have committed to losing weight and getting in shape. It's always a popular one. Some of you will start businesses. Some of you will grow businesses. Some of you will get degrees, get out of bad relationships, move, do something that you've been putting off, maybe something you've tried and failed in the past and gave up on. Who knows? But the point is, and this is what I want you to think about, if you want to set resolutions of that, get you fired up and makes you do something awesome. But here's the key. The key is to go into whatever you're wanting to do and know that it is going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint. Doesn't matter if it's that new business. Doesn't matter if it's losing weight. Doesn't matter what it is. Everything is fun, exciting, fun and exciting at the beginning in the honeymoon phase. And once you do it over and over and over and over, it can wear on you mentally. You know, failure is part of the process. You're going to have setbacks. There's going to be failures. There's going to be days where it's much harder to do whatever it is you're trying to do than others. And if you can commit to doing it anyway, that's where the gain is. That's where the win is. So my point, I want you to have New Year's resolutions if that's what it takes to get you moving. But you've got to take action and you've got to accept the fact that whatever you want probably isn't going to happen in a month or three months or six months. It may take a year. And that's not to deter you at all because I want everybody listening to be the best version of themselves and give the world everything they've got and leave a mark. But I want you to go into it in the right headspace. You know, I was a believer in mindset a long time ago. Um, I've been in entrepreneurship deep and heavy for, oh, two years and a couple of months. And I know now it's even more important than I originally thought. You know, my book is about mindset and motivation, and it's awesome, and it's it's something that, you know, I'll love for the rest of my life. But what I realize is so many people give up so soon. We're talking less than six months. Most people bow out. But to keep going, 
you know, years past where you started, you know, you have to have that, that longevity. You have to have that very resilient mindset. And I think it's constantly reflecting on what you're trying to get out of everything that you're doing. You know, for me, getting com- com- control over my time is the number one thing. I mean, that's, that's what I'm working towards. Uh, my wife and I have started a second business, basically taking over an existing book of business, but it's in manufacturing. It's very different than uh, the intentionally inspirational business, but uh, it's kind of neat. One business is old school and very hands-on. The other one is new school, very digital, very location independent. Um, both of them will keep me quite busy um, for the foreseeable future. So anyway, hope all of that rambling means something to you. It should. If it doesn't, shoot me an email, let me know, but it should. Um, today's guest is Jack H.M. Wong from Singapore. This company is WHM Consulting, and we will dive in and check out the conversation I had with Jack, and I will talk to you again after that at the end of the show. What is going on, everybody? I've got another great guest with me today. I've got Jack H.M. Wong, and let me tell you what I know about Jack. Jack is a sales trainer. He is a personal consultant, an entrepreneur, an international speaker, and author, and he has been seen on such outlets as CBS, uh, Fox News, NBC, and ABC. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep, no problem at all. So tell me, how did you get started in entrepreneurship? What does your journey look like? Well, I'm 48 years old this year. Uh, however, I only started my entrepreneurship journey at the age of 42. Because what happened was that, uh, you know, all the parents talking to the kids about the traditional education system, do well in study, graduate with good degrees, get a good job, leading to the ultimate uh, retirement. Well, I followed that path, followed my parents' instructions. So I spent actually 17 years of my life after graduating from the university in the corporate world. I had no moment then think about this entrepreneurship journey that I am st- I've started right now. What happened was that around um, 20, 2003, I have been told in the good old days a concept, a concept called job security and loyalty. So long as you work for the company, do whatever it takes, eventually you have a good career. I learned my big lesson there. In 2003, um, there was no such thing called job security because my part, my, my, my boss actually mentioned one time, no one in the company is indispensable. That was a wake-up call. And what happened then was in 20. Well, in 2010, 2011, I had this, uh, I call it the moment of lost in soul. Don't know what I, don't know what I was thinking about, but there was actually no, I see no, no, any further progression in my career. It's like every day I would just do the same thing again, again, and again. So really, really in 2011, at the beginning of 2011, I said, well, should I just continue my corporate life? or I want to do something different. Um, that's, that, that thought actually ultimately led me out of the corporate world and start my business mm-hmm. at the age of two. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. It, the funny thing is, is, you know, I was just kind of thinking about myself when you were talking. You know, when you first get out of school, you have things to work towards. And once you kind of reach everything you've worked towards, like you say, then what? 
you know, some people uh, kind of coast for the rest of their working career and other people make a big jump like you did. So I love it. Good stuff, man. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. So why do you think most startups struggle in their sales? You know, I talked to a guy today who's trying to get his startup off the ground and uh, there always seems to be this apprehension towards sales or, you know, people try People just have this idea that customers come flocking to you and you don't have to do anything. And, and there's some scenarios where that's true, but if there's a conversation or face-to-face, it's definitely not true. So what are your thoughts about that? Thank you, Jason. That is a very great question because I had a training. Now, this is Tuesday, your time. So basically, about two days ago, I had one training where I was doing my 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 stuff taxation but in the in the in, in the program I actually talk about how I actually generate the sales from my from my consulting business and there was this lady in the room who happened to be a freelance consultant and she said exactly the same thing I don't know how to ask for money because I'm afraid so the first thing that comes to my mind is this four letter word start with F now F it can be anything, but for, for, for this purpose, is actually fear, F-E-A-R, fear. Fear as in fear of asking for money. I'm not talking about like fear of anything else, but just simply one, the first obstacle I noticed was really the fear of asking for money. It's like, am I good enough to actually stretch out my hand and ask the client, can you please pay me for my services? A lot of people I know of, because in school, we haven't been told or haven't been taught how to actually ask for money because we don't have this skill set learned in school. So when, when, what, happened was that in the, what happened was that in the corporate world, we don't need to stretch our hand because, because if we can't do that as an employee, ultimately the boss will do it for us. So we always have a safety net in the corporate world. Whereas right now, if I'm the boss, if I don't ask for money, then who else does that? So I would, I would say that the first obstacle is fear. The second thing is about our self as self, self-concept, self-esteem. I use the word self-concept, but it might be a bit um, complex, so I use the word self-esteem to represent that. What self-esteem talks about was basically, I'm constantly thinking of whether I'm good enough for asking my clients for money. So as an example, let's say I feel that um, the client need this service, like my test services. I need. I feel that my client needs the service. So the question is, can I ask the client for $10,000, for example? And at this point in time, suddenly in this moment, there's a voice coming in and say, you know what, Jack, there's no way the client will give me 10 grand. Why? Because I'm not sure if I'm good enough to ask for 10 grand. So it's not the fear part, but it's the not good enough part kicks in. So in the end, I rationalize all these thoughts and say, oh, maybe I just charge a thousand. Or what if the client says one thousand is too expensive? Maybe I'll just do it for free. So you see the point, Jason, at the end is I wanted to ask for money, but I actually shoot myself down and asking for nothing. So that's my experience working with a lot of entrepreneurs having issue, having problems of sales. Absolutely. That's really interesting what you said about we never learned how to ask for money in school. And that made me actually think of uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad and some of his other books. He kind of mentions that we were never trained on money, but I never have heard it phrased that way. Um, But it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. it is – 
Like for me, I, I personally don't have any problem asking for money, but I know a lot of people do. So it doesn't make sense to me, but there's other things I don't like to do that other people do. So I guess I just have to look at it that way. But it's very interesting. You know, sometimes as an adult, people jump into sales and then they wonder why they struggle to ask for money. But like you say, we've never worked on it or never, never thought about it when we were most impressionable. So very interesting. Yeah, that's what, right. What do you think the very top salespeople do differently than everybody else? And I know you've worked with, I think it's like a thousand of uh, some of the top salespeople around the world. What, what are they doing differently? Well, to, to extend my conversation earlier on, these people basically have worked on themselves. On themselves, It's like the point that I wanted to bring across was a lot of a lot of people thought that in order to do well in sales, I just need to learn the ultimate killer killing technique. As long as I master that, I will generate thousands or millions of dollars of sales. I said, mm, I wish there was such a thing called ultimate killing technique. There wasn't such thing, unfortunately. So I, I, I actually noticed that a lot of top sales professionals have, have no issue of asking for money because they are not in fear which is the opposite of what I've just said. And secondly, they feel good, even though they may not at the tip-top condition at that point in time of asking for money, they raise their energy, they become so, they become so confident in front of the participants, in front of the, the prospects, the customers. And when they ask, okay, is it a good time to pay or pursue something similar? They have no issue of stretching their hand out. So basically, it's exactly it's what I've said earlier on, but working directly opposite. Mm -hmm. So that differentiates a lot of top salespeople from the ordinary or mediocre. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, really. And, I, and I'm kind of thinking just devil's advocate in my mind. Is there mm -hmm. a way around this? So what if somebody listening is like, man, I'm really good at everything else but sales. Is that something that's going to hold them back? <laughs> Oh my God, Robert Kiyosaki, as you mentioned, talks about the, the 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 lack of experience in sales in traditional school. Well, of course, the, the the logical conclusion, the logical result is well, I need to learn how to sell. And I actually was under the guidance of uh, Kiyosaki's um, uh, rich advisor, Blair Singer. I'm actually trained under Blair, so Blair has talked about sales in two dimension. One is sales is important because sales equals income. So I, every day I said to myself, if I don't make sales, I have no income, then who is going to suffer, me or my family? So there's actually a very interesting push from me to be doing well in sales because it's not just about me, it's about my family. So there's an internal push, number one. Number two is, Blair says, in order to be good at sales, like remember a while ago, I talked about this voice that comes in and said to you, said and gave us a very interesting conversation. So he said, as long as we have this, um, as long as we have the, the resources to master overcoming or uh, sending this voice, we call it the literal voice, literal voice away, that for the moment, our energy level will be raised and that would be the right time to ask the clients for money. So we have to manage our own little voice and keep our energy at the right level, at the right time, at the right place. Mm -hmm. So that would be what I would do 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting you talk about that that internal voice. Uh mindset is such a big piece to business and to entrepreneurship and sales. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take you can take somebody with a ferocious and unstoppable mindset who who doesn't have the same tools as somebody who may naturally have great sales tools and they can outproduce them because if you've got that I don't I'm not good enough or I can't do this. If you've got that going on in your head, it just it can just destroy people. I mean, I I talk, and this is kind of a an unrelated example, but I talked to a guy one time that was just simply trying to start a podcast like this one. And he said, yeah, I have a couple questions for you. Can we do just an hour of consulting, that type of thing? I said, yeah, no problem. So I get to talking to this guy, and he's been planning out and obsessing over a podcast for like six to nine months. And wow. I was like, well, why, why have you not started yet? He's like, it's not ready. And he was just freaking out and became very obvious that fear was just crippling him. And I said, there's like nothing scary. Just record and publish one. Just get going. And by the time we got off of the the call, he said that he was going to wait another six months to 18 months before he got going. And I thought to myself, he'll never do it. You know, it's it's amazing to see how one guy over something that I would consider not that big of a deal just literally took himself out of the game because he keeps coming up with all the reasons why guests won't come on a show and why nothing will work. And it's just, it's crazy to watch. Well, the school has taught us not to make mistake because mistake results in punishment. Again, Kiyosaki's concept. And I also talked to a lot of potential parents at the right age is about means the right age to get married and have family. I mean, Mm. Singapore, I'm from Singapore. Singapore is a country with very, um, with the government's huge amount of support financially and mentally to help to have the fellow citizen equipped starting to start a family. So people around mid thirties, like my, my friends, some of them didn't get married eventually because they said to they, they actually said, well, you know what? I'm not ready. I say, when are you going to be ready? I don't know. Not now. So as a result of that, some of my friends who are at my age remain single, or even though they get married, they have no kids. The one thing that you mentioned very well, Jason, was, well, if I'm not ready, I don't do the work, I can't start the work. It's like, if I'm a father, I need to be ready for me to become a father. You know what? The, the thing is that you will never become a father. Because when I was a dad back in 16 years ago, did I actually tell myself I, I was ready? No. It just, it just happened. You get to the you get to that place without knowing whether you're ready, but you realize that you're actually there. So mm-hmm. you just have to keep on moving and start one, like start one show, and then who cares who are who will be listening? You just start it, get the momentum, and you start start like you yourself go, go getting um, getting your audiences coming in and grow your base, grow your database like that. I mean, this is the classic lessons of entrepreneurship. You just have to keep moving forward each day. Absolutely. Yeah, I mm. fail all the time. I uh, I get an idea. <laughs> I step into it very, very quickly, knowing that the first time won't be my best, and I figure out what I could have done differently, adjust, and keep going at it. So I know mm. sometimes easier said than done, but hopefully somebody listening uh, you know, gets uh, gets motivated by that for sure. Do you, Jack, yeah. do you ever miss the corporate world? Is there anything about it that you ever look back on and say, man, I kind of wish that miss that a little bit? Not have this. Really, honestly, I had never had that moment of thought. In fact, 
again going to that example where I talk about my trainings two two training two days ago. Uh, in the room there was a lady. The lady was uh, uh, actually uh, let me put it this way. He she was an employee. She started her own consulting business. Uh, accounting and tax services provider two years ago. And she said to me, very interestingly, you know what, even though I fail, I can always fall back and go back to the corporate world. I said, really, are you thinking that way? Because I didn't think that way. I have never thought about that way because the moment, again, the thought of going back to the corporate world comes in, it is kind of like telling us, you know what, your entrepreneurship journey, it, it will come to the end. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. So one of my entrepreneurship principles is never quit, never go back. Because you are in the, in the, in the entrepreneurship world, the only way you can, you, the only direction you can go to is moving forward. Mm -hmm. You can't look back. Otherwise, you're inviting, you're inviting yourself back to the, back to the, back to ground zero. It's like the investment world, I, I was having a very conversation, a very interesting conversation with some guys, and they said, you know why I invest? You know what, every month, as long as I do not lose a thousand dollars, I'm okay. I said, in the first place, if you lose, if you pre are prepared to lose a thousand dollars a month in the investing, why do you invest in the first place? Does it make sense? It doesn't, it's strange. But it just happened that some people actually had this very interesting thought, which is insane to me. And I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> well, I, I I can't blame you. I mean, to to think about losing a thousand bucks a month, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would rather put my money somewhere else. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this: I, I'd love for you to give us three tips for assessing the buying behavior of a potential prospect. So say somebody listening is like, you know what, I, I'm going to get better at sales. I'm going to do it. What are three tips they could, they could have or benefit from for assessing the buying behavior of their prospects? Okay, good. Talking about buying behavior. Well, I'm actually, uh, um, uh, I won't call myself expert, but I've been doing this for about four or five years. Basically is to understand the buying behavior first of my prospect before I even start my start moving my mouth talking about my service. Because a lot of people are very eager to close the sales. Like some people have already rationalized their voice, internal voice, and they're ready to push. And always says one thing, before you push, do you have you assessed whether the, the other person is ready for that? Because the, the other person might still be like finding facts, gathering information, or is not in the state of ready to give you the money. So the first thing, really the important thing in terms of buying behavior is to assess whether the other person is ready to buy. If he or she is not ready to buy based on the body, based on the nonverbal cue we call, then don't push for sales. It's not going to happen. So number one, is the other guy ready for that? Number two is some people like to talk about big picture, like some, some buyers I know, they talk about a solution, a result. I have a very interesting experience whereby I was able to close a six-figure contract in front of a CEO of a big company in Singapore in less than 60 seconds. And people ask, wow, how did you do that? 
I said based on my assessment of this CEO, he's result driven. So basically, my pitch to this person was all about the result that my products, I mean, the users of my products have generated. And he was very excited about that. So 60 seconds done, the, the CEO was ready to buy. Some people, on the other hand, requires information. Very interesting. You can tell, you can pitch anything, but they will just say one thing at the end. Mm, let me think about it. Now, at this point, some salespeople will be pushed off, and they say, okay, the other guy is not ready to buy because he said, I have to think about it. And my sales trainer says, if the person says, I have to think about it, that means he's not willing to buy. Not really. There are, there are this group of people who wants who want to rationalize the logic and close themselves. And how do I know this group of people so well? Because I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. When I say I think about it, it doesn't mean that I'm not interested. I just need to study and research and do my due diligence. When I am ready, I will close the sales. I will call the sales guy and say, I'm ready to buy. So there's this group buy. And, and the third thing is really about about selling features and benefits. I mean, many sales trainers talk about that, about the features and benefits. Now, there's a school of thought that says we must sell benefits and not feature. I don't agree because some people are left brain focused, some people are right brain focused, although we use the whole brain. But that being said, if I am just selling the benefits without the features, I will lose a group of people who really need the features to be close. At the same time, if I'm selling features, but not the benefits, there will be another group of people who don't see the, the future direction they can move forward if I say yes to them, and they won't be close. So when crafting sales presentation and pitch, it is to me bloodily important in my language to focus on both the features and benefits, not just one or, or the other. We have to talk about the features and benefits. So these are the three things that I I notice when I'm doing sales and when I'm sharing my sales tips with my participants, my my, my trainees. Mm -hmm. These are the key lessons I've learned. Mm -hmm. I think those are three great tips. Three, three great tips. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, what was I? Man, I had a thought. I had a thought, and I was going to ask you, and I've lost it for now, but it'll come back to me. It always does. Mm -hmm. um, how can we strengthen our perceived value with peers and clients? And, and do you think there is a, a value with perceived value? Perception is reality. That's the number one lesson I learned in marketing. I can say, well, I'm very good. Who cares? It's actually the perceived value that I've generated. So what happened was that uh, my business coach actually said it is important to raise our value. And I said, I actually asked the question one time many years ago, what do you mean by raising my own value? How do I do that? Well, the first thing is, Go through your inner voice every single day because at the end, what do you talk to yourself about? I mean, the value comes from within your self-esteem to be to be to be to to to, to put that way, your self-esteem. If you are not seeing yourself valuable, then what's the point of raising your own value? It won't work. So I remember one time I was working with one coachee and I told the coachee this 
question, I asked the coaching this question. In your service, are you prepared to offer your customers a $25,000 package? And the coachee says, I'm not sure how to do that. Fine. Go to the toilet, take off your clothes, walk, mean, talk to the person in front of you who is in the mirror, which is actually you, sell to this person in the mirror $25,000 package. If you can do that, the value is there. And interestingly, the coach immediately responded, I can't do that. Which is no wonder why he cannot ask for $25,000 package. So the first person you have to learn how to sell to is actually yourself. Very interesting. The second thing about, about raising the value is what we do, like, like there are many techniques, many, many tools I can talk about, but this one is very big also. It's a very simple tip is that people will find ways to research us all the time. Like I've got customers who, before they buy, research me online, whichever site, type my name, whichever site uh, I have, I have presence, my account, my social media accounts is that this lady actually one time said, before I came to talk to you, talk to you about the product you offer, I've done my research on you. I say, well, really? Wow. You actually do a due diligence of me online. <laughs> so what happened was that how I put things up online is very critical. So in order to raise my perceived value in front of people, I may not even know. What do I put online? What do I, what do I put on my social media account? That becomes very important. Because a lot of friends of mine who are business people, but they don't really think about the branding, the perceived value question, they put a lot of stuff online which are deemed to be not useful, or my, my language again, rubbish. So how would people perceive them as the ultimate logical choice of the solution? that they can solve. So I'm very careful what I say online. I'm very careful with what I post online on my social media account. So these are the two things that I would, I would say in terms of raising perceived value. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really powerful. And I, I've never heard that or thought of that in that way, but the first person you need to sell to is yourself. Man, that's good stuff. You're not, you're not going <laughs> to yeah. send me a bill for this podcast, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. But this, that, this tip itself is, I will, I will have to actually keep credit to um, to to my mentor. Uh, his name is Matt Newton. He's actually an Eitan Taekwondo um, uh, celebrity train, a personal trainer. He, he's, 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 a, he's a sports coach. He trained a lot of sports people in North America, Matt Newton, because this tip is actually coming from him. Mm-hmm. It's a great so, tip. It's an absolutely great very tip. Very important. Sell to yourself first before you sell to other people. Man, that's powerful. Well, what I was going to say on the last topic, and I couldn't remember, I was going to say I like what you said about selling the features and the benefits because I don't believe in a one size uh, or one style of approach for, for everybody. I don't like the one size fits all for anything. So mm -hmm. I think it's really smart that you you do it in such a way that you appeal to those different styles. So I think that's very important. So that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I told oh, you it'd okay. come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. great. So, Jack, what's next for you in your business? What are you focusing on in the next six months or so? Good question. I'm always looking for the next idea. Like entrepreneur, the main successful entrepreneurs are constantly looking for the next idea so as to allow them to move forward. Um, whether it's a six months or six years, every single day, I will spend at least 
30 minutes, sometimes even the whole morning, just to think about what's the next idea. It's like our job as entrepreneurs are not really working in the business. We have teams, we have people who can work for us, work with us. Our job is really thinking of one idea, inspire people, okay, this idea is great, and then the rest will come in, the success, the sales, or everything will come in. So it's not just my six months. I'm still constantly thinking of the next idea. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Every day I'm asking this question, what else can I do? <laughs> so I, I'm sorry to answer this way because I really don't know whether it's a six months target or six years target because every single day I'm, I'm, I'm constantly asking the same question. What else can I do? Yeah, no, no uh, apology needed. I like that. I like that uh, you're always reaching. You know, I'm that same way, and I love seeing other people wired that way. So that's good stuff. If somebody today is inspired by something you said, and you've brought some great, great nuggets to this podcast, uh, what's the best way they could get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out to you? Sure. Actually, two ways. One is to go to my uh, social media account, Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook fan page, uh, Jack H.M. Wong Official. That's my fan page. I actually posted, I'm now actually posting stuff only on my fan page. I don't use my personal profile account anymore because there are lots of good reasons why fan page should be used. And I do a lot of uh, posting in terms of quotes, videos, and sometimes my wisdom, if you like on um, the Jack H.M. Wong official Facebook account. Um, the other way to reach out of me is um, my uh, personal website, Jack H.M. Wong. Um, down there, I have, some, I have some stuff, some blog posts, which people may find useful. One more thing is like as a, as a gesture for having me on this show um, to, 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 to help your um, audiences understand me better. Uh, uh, I'm actually also offering a, 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 a downloadable version of my book, Cracking the Entrepreneur Code, which was actually one of my one of my uh, Amazon best selling selling books. Um, your audiences can go to uh, crackingentrepreneurcode.com, and they will be able to download uh, a download downloadable version of my book, so that they can read. And I'm sharing my first three years of my entrepreneurship journey in this book. Very nice. Thank you for that. You're welcome, Jason. Well, Jack, I've certainly appreciated your time and your wisdom today, and I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jason, for having me on the show. I hope that your audiences will be inspired by what your podcast shows name talk about, inspired people. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> thank you. All right. We are back, Jack. Thank you for your time, my friend. Good information. And, um, you know, again, I appreciate everything that you that you gave us as far as nuggets. For anybody wanting to check out these show notes, you can do so by going to intentionallyinspirational.com uh, forward slash episode 102. And that same formula will work for any past or future episodes as well. And something I'm starting to do on Facebook Live, uh, instead of doing additional podcasts, sometimes I just jump on for five to ten minutes, I'm jumping on Facebook Live audio only and doing that on my Intentionally Inspirational Facebook page. So if you ever want to get more content in the audio form from the weekly podcast, that's where you can go for now, and that could spin off into something more. But for now, that's what we're doing, and we will roll with it. And maybe do some of the same on Instagram as well. On Instagram, we are 
INTINS podcast. You can check us out there. Very, very active there. And, uh, you know, we will see you around somewhere. So appreciate it, guys. Appreciate the ear. I hope 2018 is even better for you compared to 2017. I will talk to you again next year, literally. And uh, until then, take care. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to Intentionally Inspirational. You can keep up with all of our new episodes on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We look forward to having you join us again next week for another great episode.